Yesterday, I got stung in the forehead by a wasp. I think it was a hornet, uh, something like that. It was a real bummer. I don't know if you've ever been stung or particularly stung on the forehead. Those things are fast, too. It was like, I don't, here's what happened. We're sitting there, Tiffany and I, and she reached her hand inside. She has this old 66 Chevy truck, short, wide body, beautiful truck. Guy's fixing it that lives down the street from us. So we go down and talk to him. And she's sitting there, she puts her hand on something and freaks out. And it turns out it was a hornet's nest. And so she gets out of the way. <laughs> but very quickly, this hornet comes up and just bam, gets me right in the head. I'm not saying she planned it. That's not what I'm saying. All I know is that she got no stings and I got one of the four. I'm glad that it didn't like get real big because that's all you guys would have been looking at this morning. So it was a bummer. It really, really, really hurt. And here's the thing. I don't know what God's plan was for me getting stung by a hornet. I don't know. I don't know what good things will come from the sharp pain that I had in my head and the ice I'm putting on it and being a little baby about it. I do not know why it happened. But you know what I didn't do? I did not question the goodness of God when I got stung. I knew that a painful event occurred in my life, but I also know God is good. The thing is that what if it were two stings or eight stings? What if I was put in the hospital from it? Or what if I was in horrible pain for a year because of it? If one sting doesn't cause me to question God's goodness, is it possible that 10 stings might cause me to? Or what if instead of me, it was my wife or one of my kids that got stung and I had to watch them go through suffering? Should I question the goodness of God if other people suffer? Someone very close to me is going through some very, very painful health problems right now, and I have watched the agony on her face. And it's difficult. Should I question God's goodness because of that? Should I trust God less or stop trusting him because of the pain that I see around me? Now, many of you have gone through terrible pain. Uh, if you're human and you're here, apparently they're saying there's aliens now. So I'm just assuming you all are human. There's no aliens, all right? You have probably gone through terrible pain in your life. You may have lost loved ones, people close to you. Uh, many have suffered through divorce a loss of a child or loss of a husband or a wife, should you stop trusting in God's goodness? Now, I can say no, and we can end this thing, right? We can all go get some brunch. But saying no, you should always trust God no matter what, and, and while that can be true, without something more, without an explanation, it sounds like what your parents used to say when they told you to obey them and you didn't want to do that thing, because I told you so and I'm your mom, or I'm your dad. Not a particularly satisfying explanation. And thanks be to God that we don't have to be left with that as our only explanation for why we should trust him in the midst of pain. God has given us his revealed word. For those of you that don't have one of these at home, by the way, there's, there's some in front of you, if you don't have one at home, that's for you. That's a free gift. That's yours. We want you to have it. But the word of God is so, so special and so important. It's so important. He's revealed his word in the scriptures. 
Now, some of you may not know if you trust the Bible to be true. I get it. Like, that's a, that's a whole thing out there. Like, I don't know that I trust the Bible. Um, we have resources on our website where uh, we've done studies on the reliability of Scripture, where it came from, why you should probably believe scholars and not fiction writers like Dan Brown and that kind of thing. Like, we've, we've gone through that because it's a fair question. Um, but you can go on the Axe Church Northwest app or YouTube or wherever, all those places, and you can find where we've talked about why you should trust Scripture. Because if you listen to sort of the uh, pseudo-intellectual crowd, the uh, I think I'm really smart crowd, they'll say things like, uh, this was written by a group of Bronze Age ignorant men. And th- here's the thing. Ask them when the Bronze Age was. Most of them are just repeating that. They don't even know what the Bronze Age was. Um, they're just saying that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a dollar if when somebody says that to you, they can tell you the era of the Bronze Age. Um, the fact is, is that people have always come against the scripture and it's still standing. And there are millions of people this morning all over the world reading the scripture. And there are people with more education than all of us in this room put together who believe and trust this, this book, okay? And so you can trust the scripture, Uh, Some people don't know the facts about the Bible, and I think that's why they don't trust it, but it is the most well-attested document in the ancient world, period, by far, by far. So please feel free to look into it yourself. Ask me any questions you have after you do a little research. Um, Your questions are always welcome here. I just want you guys to know that. I don't know how often I say that, but if you have questions, we are not a church who's like, well, just trust God and and move on. We're happy to walk through the stuff with you, the difficult things, because we believe that there are answers for those things, and we use our minds here. We believe that God has given us our mind. We're supposed to love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so if you have questions, let us know. Not right now. I'm talking, but maybe later. (laughs) God gave us his word, and we still believe it. We live by it because it's true, and God constantly proves that his word is true. And in the word of God, we are given reasons for trusting him, even in the midst of pain and sorrow. We aren't just, said, we aren't just told, trust me because I'm God. He gives us reasons. And we've been studying the book of Romans, uh, which is God's Holy Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this book to the church at Rome. This happened in the 50s AD, about 20-something years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To give you some context, that would be like a book being written today about the resurrection happening in like 2003, early 2000s, okay? So pretty, pretty early on um, book that we have. Uh, and so the implications of the resurrection and the resurrection, which Paul talks about a lot, it, it would have been nonsense at that time, so close, and the scholars agree on the, on the date, basically, on this one. There's, there's some spread, but that spread is within about 10 years. Uh, it would have been nonsense unless there were hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses to the historical event of the resurrection. You can just imagine getting something now that says, hey, in 2003, this person rose from the dead. I think we would probably check that out. And there's hundreds of people who saw it and who will testify and were willing to die for their testimony for it, not because they were getting lots of stuff for saying it, but because they were already suffering for saying it. And so this is the type of thing that you, you got to think about that. I, I mentioned it because when we read the Bible, and we sometimes read it in a way that sort of ignores the supernatural and miraculous nature of the text, right? To give you an example, the Odyssey is written by, uh, we believe it's written by Homer, um, not Simpson, it's a different guy, Greek fella, um, and believed to be written about 700 BC. 
about a period of time that he's writing about, we, we think fictionally, uh, obviously fictionally in many of the things, but even, even the wars that are discussed probably didn't happen, but about 500 years before the time that it was written. Okay? I don't know whether the Greek people believed the story or not, but no one could have testified to the supernatural elements of that story either way. You know why? Because 500 years ago. So they're all dead. But when Paul's writing this book, how many of you were alive in 2003? Yeah, most of you, right? There's, there's a few of you who weren't, but most of you were. Some of you weren't awake in 2003. That's a different thing. Just imagine writing these kinds of things that Paul writes. They're going to be tested. They're going to be tested. And so I want you to think about that. Christianity did not rise to prominence and take over the pagan world a thousand years after the resurrection of Christ. Christianity began to rise to prominence and widespread belief based on the hundreds of believable eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not, a lot of religions are kind of very spiritual, very touchy-feely, you know, it's very like, well, you just kind of feel God in the way, and you go to the mountain, and you hike, and it's just so great, that kind of thing, okay? And I'm not making, well, I am, I'm making fun of that, that's because it's nonsense, okay? Christianity isn't like that. Christianity rises and falls on a historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead, in which case we have hope, or he didn't, in which case we're still in our sins, and we're going to hell. Those are the possibilities, right? But that historical fact, the thing that you could touch as Thomas said, show me the holes in your hand, right? I want to put my hand in your side where they put the spear through. It was, well, you could touch it. It was real. It is a real historical event. And without that event, all these things that Paul writes in Romans and the whole New Testament, the whole thing is nonsense. And we should be at brunch right now, eating and drinking and being merry for tomorrow we die. But he did rise from the dead. He did rise from the dead. And all these hundreds of believable eyewitness accounts and the accounts of the people who those people told, who also believed and told the next generation is why we are still sitting here in this room in 2023. Some people will say, well, yeah, they believed it because they're ignorant people. (sighs) Believe it or not, guys, you aren't that smart. 2,000 years ago, people knew that babies did not be born of virgins, And that people who were killed by the Romans on a cross did not jump up and walk around three days later. Okay? They knew that. That's why. If it was believable, like an everyday thing, why would it rise to prominence? It'd just be another one of the many dumb things that these ignorant people believed. No, the reason it was so transformational is because it was completely unbelievable, and yet it was true. And there are witnesses to it. That's why Christianity became what Christianity became. Now, what people did with Christianity to destroy things is a different issue. That were, that, that's what humans did when they got power through it. But that's not, that's not what this is about. Jesus Christ's resurrection, that's about how we love each other. That's about how we serve each other. That's why Christianity rose to prominence, because the unbelievable became true and believable. Jesus rose from the dead and proved his message to be true. So if you're wondering, the real reason to believe the Bible is because the one guy on earth in all of history that rose from the dead said it's true. I don't know what else you need, but if I'm going to go to like sources, the guy who rose from the dead gets my vote. So I'm going to believe him. So if you read the Bible, keep that in mind, and you should read the Bible. It's a book that's been scrutinized for thousands of years, and even... 
when they could have proved it wrong, which would have been at the time that this stuff was written. This could have been just a joke. It could have been, could have been a laughable joke because it just could have gone and people said, that didn't happen. They couldn't prove it wrong then when they could have. Like, find the body. How hard is it to find the body? Right? Nope. He is alive. And so they couldn't prove it wrong then. And for the last 2,000 years, they've continued to try to prove it wrong. And they have not yet been able to do so. That's pretty significant. Jesus' resurrection now being one of the most attested historical facts in all of history. Now, or history from that time, certainly, I guess we have everything on video now, so everything's, you know, attested. Now, the book of Romans teaches us into very deep waters, philosophically and theologically. And we've sort of run head on into one of the most controversial, most difficult in some ways, chapters of the New Testament, which is Romans 9. Last time we were working on this chapter, we read through the chapter and worked through the idea that there were different views on God's sovereignty, okay, on God's sovereignty. Sovereignty, according to Google, means supreme power or authority, okay? God has supreme power or authority, but how that works in terms of our own salvation is hard to understand because when he has supreme power and authority, there's this whole thing about, did he plan everything? And if he planned everything, do we really have choice? And there's this whole philosophical thing that happens, right? And that all goes back to God's sovereignty. But even though we talked about the, the schools of thought and theology, Calvinism and Arminianism and that kind of stuff last time, to really understand the argument that's being made in chapter 9, we have to understand what God's sovereignty means in chapter 8 because the Bible is written in a particular way. And sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards because the Bible is one thing contextually. And so it, it, it verifies itself if you read the whole thing. So you take the whole testimony of Scripture when you're reading any passage. Why It's very dangerous to start reading. You flip to the Bible and you read a thing and you make your theology there. That's how really bad theology gets made because this thing cannot be interpreted without the rest of it. And that's true of any book. It's not just the Bible. That's true. Look, look at what happens to the Constitution. Whichever side of all that you're on, uh, people tend to sort of like, well, this is whatever, but you got to take the whole thing. In the case of the Scripture, it's a very complicated, very long book. People, oh, but it should be easy. God should make everything easy. Why? Grow up. This is a big, big boy, big girl book, Okay you got to put your big boy or big girl pants on to understand it. And so when you're reading Romans 9, you can't just read Romans 9 and create a theology out of it. You have to read Romans 9 in the context of the argument that's being made through the entire chapter and the entire book of Romans and then the entire New Testament and the entire Old Testament, the entire Bible, okay? And so we got to go back to go forward. You cannot understand one part without understanding the context of the whole Scripture, it's, it's interconnected. The book of Romans is very interconnected to itself. You can't take one section or chapter and interpret it without knowing the other sections and chapters that come before it. So before we understand the complication of God's sovereignty in the process, particularly of salvation, which is what the Calvinists and the Arminians and so on are, are arguing about. How does salvation work? How does that process work? Which most of us are like, as long as it worked, we're good, Right? Who's just glad it worked? I'm just glad it worked, okay? How it worked, we can get into that, but I'm just glad it worked. I think that's how most people are. But before we understand that, we have to understand the goodness of God in general. 
And we have to understand the goodness of God in the midst of our suffering because when we talk about God's plan and God's predestination of things in the world, we have to believe that he's good in order to comprehend his predestination. That's, we have to understand what it means to be saved, which is to say, what are we saved from? What is the hope that we have when we're saved? We have to understand that God has worked all these things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called to, according to his purpose. So we're going to walk through the argument starting from Romans 8 and work through kind of half of Romans 8 so that we can get into, Lord willing, Romans 9 as a piece, as a clear thing that's flowing from it. So if you have your Bibles, and there's ones in front of you, and uh, you can use your phone, it'll be on the screen. I don't know what else I can do for you. You got to put down the Angry Birds or Instagram in order to pay attention to this, and I will tell you that if you do not pay attention, you will lose me pretty quickly, and that's up to you, but here we go, all right? Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 15. It says this, that's verse 12, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Okay, here's the thing that you gotta, you gotta walk through this. What's happening here? This is an argument. This is a syllogism, which is what Paul often does. We still use this way of argumentation today. It's basically just math. It's the way we put things together. If this is true and this is true, then this must be true and so on. So he works it like this. There's two possibilities. There's a spirit of bondage to fear, and there is a spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father, okay? Abba is a word for father, kind of like we say dada, Abba, right? You get it? It's that, it's that daddy idea. It's, it's what, what a young child would call his father. So we have the spirit of adoption, which we call Abba, Father, where we're adopted by God, and then there's a spirit of bondage to fear. Now, the spirit of bondage to fear, he's saying, cannot be this other spirit, and you receive the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Therefore, what's implied here is you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, this is huge. This is huge because you're born in a broken, fallen world from a broken, fallen mother and father, okay? That's how, it, that's how you roll. You are born and you're walking around in this spirit of bondage to fear. Now, when you get saved, you do not again end up with the spirit of bondage to fear, but you end up with the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And he's going to explain what that's about, but you have to understand what's happening there. What he's saying is fear is for the fatherless, Fear is for the fatherless, those without a daddy. Now, you may or may not have had a good father, okay? There are some good ones. There are some bad ones. But all of you knew, if your father was not a good father, that he should have been. At some point, you've realized that there was a standard, and your dad missed it. Now, all dads miss it somewhere, but some of them miss real bad, Right? But what we know is that when we were young, think about yourself like you're old enough to talk and move around or whatever, but not so old that you've become a turd like a teenager. No offense. Over here. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Right? And you, and you think, think of the word daddy. Is there anything more precious than a little child who completely and utterly trusts their daddy, Abba? Right? 
I, I, I trust you completely. I know that you have got, I don't have anything in the world that I have to worry about as long as you're around daddy. That's the ideal, right? That's what we all wish we had. We didn't all have that. And I'm not trying to make you sad right now because you didn't, because now you do have it with God. Okay? But that's the point. That, that's the idea that we have here. You are trusting completely because you have been adopted by a daddy. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we have a daddy. Now, what's that about? Listen, he's saying, listen, this is the deal. You were given not the spirit of bondage to fear, again, to fear, but the spirit of adoption, which we call Abba Father. And by the way, if you're wondering whether that's the case, the Holy Spirit is testifying with your spirit that that's true of you, that you're a child of God. That feeling that you have when you press in, when you're worshiping, right? You, you have, where you press in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm God's. That's the Holy Spirit confirming that to you. Now, you may go through all kinds of feelings, right? We have emotions. Our body causes all kinds of emotions. But there is a time, if you're a Christ follower, where you could feel it. The Holy Spirit testifying it to you. Now, guess what? The Holy Spirit it doesn't have to be a feeling because you know where else the Holy Spirit is testified to it? Right here. You don't have to feel it. You can read it. You can know it because the Holy Spirit is the one who what? Inspired the whole scripture. So when it says, when you do these things, you're saved, you can know that whether you feel it or not, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, the next part of the argument says this. Children of a father are that father's heirs. That's just a legal statement. Okay, I'm an, as you, some of you know, I'm a, I'm a liar, lawyer, and, <laughs> and I've done a lot of this, okay? Children of a father are that father's heirs. That's a given. That's implied here in what he's saying. And he says, since we are children of our God, Abba, our father, then we are heirs of God. Children of a father are heirs of the father. If you're a child of God, you're an heir of God. That's the deal. Then he says, this is, this is an implied sentence that, that's not here, but it's obviously implied in the argument. Since Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, then we, as children of God, are joint heirs with Christ. We're, we're receiving what? What he received in the resurrection. We're going to receive that too. He was the first fruits, right, among many brethren who would get saved. Brethren, brothers and sisters, that's what that means. So if we're joint heirs with him, we're going to receive what he's received. Resurrection of the body. No more, no more of this corruption that we have in our bodies now, but rather resurrection. It says this, though. He says, if we're joint heirs with him, we will suffer with him. We will suffer with him and be glorified with him in the resurrection of the body, right? The transformation. So, if we're God's, we are God's children, if we're in Christ. That's the first thing you need to know. We are joint heirs with Christ, that we will have the resurrection. We will suffer if we are in Christ, and we will see glory as Christ did. But we suffer because he suffered. Now, what about our suffering? Well, the next part of this goes into that. This is Romans 18, 8, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 18 through 28. So let's start there. For I consider that the sufferings, 
right? So he talked about sufferings. These two things are connected, where he says suffering up here, and he says suffering down here, right? The, the next sentence, we suffer with him, and then he says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time. What are the sufferings of the present time? Whatever you're going through, player, that's what it is, okay? That's your sufferings, the ones you've had, the ones you're gonna have, the ones you're having now. It's a real bumtastic bummer out there. You get stung by a hornet in the forehead. It just, it happens, right? Much worse things happen. That's what he's talking about. We're gonna suffer in this world as Christ did. How did he suffer? All the time. He had nowhere to lay his head. People rejected him. I don't know if you know this, they killed him. Right? Why? Because he never sinned and did everything right all the time for everybody. So they thought, we should kill this guy. Right? That's what happened. So do you think that if you're in him, you're not going to receive from the world what he received from the world? No, you are. And so he says, for I consider that the sufferings, not the maybe sufferings, not that it might happen to you, but it's pretty rare. Once you're a Christian, you get the private jet and everything's kind of good to go. That's not what he says. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, I, want, I just want to stop there for a second. Suffering kind of works like this. If I have a slight ache and I complain, and I go, I, I've got a little bit of an ache, most of you are going to go, get tough. It's a little ache, right? We are not going, like I said, one bee sting, I'm not questioning the goodness of God. But we tend to compare suffering by sort of how much there is. And the more there is, we act as if that would be more of a problem. But a little bit of suffering and a lot of suffering, that's just an amount of intensity, okay? And so he's making a statement here about suffering that we're going to get back to in a minute. But, but when he says suffering, it's all of it, whatever you're dealing with, any suffering. So keep that in mind. No matter what suffering, it's not going to compare. Now, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you, sons and daughters, right? For the creation was subjected in futility, that's where we're at right now. Creation is futile. It's a joke. It's wearing down. People go around and they go, hey, the, the globe is warming or something. There's some, I don't remember. There's some kind of heat or cold. I don't, it changes. But they can see things are not going well. Okay? Creation is in a state of futility. It's in the state of futility. And it was put that way, not because God wanted it that way, but because of hope, because sin happened, and that was going to happen. Instead of just destroying everything, God had a plan. He had a hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Even creation itself is going to be resurrected. Okay? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. We've had a couple ladies just have babies in the last few weeks. Um, many of you have had uh, birth, birth pangs, you know, labor pains. Many of you husbands have had to deal with that, them having that go on. Scary. Like, you're just like, just tell me what to do. I'm not going to try to do anything. You just tell me what you want done, and I will try to do that. That's birth pangs, right? They come. They're consistent, right? So it's been that way. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. What hope? The hope for the redemption of our body. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this is powerful, powerful. He's walking through this argument where he's saying, yep, listen, Suffering starts with, hey, we're joint heirs with Christ. Good news if we suffer with him. Not great news. But then he gives you the good news about your suffering. For I consider the sufferings that you're dealing with now to not be comparable. They're not worth talking about. And I'm talking the worst you could imagine for a person. Imagine being Job, right? All your, you're fabulously wealthy. All your stuff's gone. All your kids die all on the same day, Right? That's rough. That's rough. That is nothing. Can't, you can't compare it to the glory which will be revealed. So your airness, the, the, the fact that you're an heir with Christ, join heir with Christ, means that you have something coming that's been promised to you that is so unbelievably amazing that the worst suffering you could think of is nothing to it. Couldn't even be compared. Now, that's a pretty big promise. That's a pretty big promise. So he goes on, listen, the earth is, the, the creation is like, it's growing, groaning. You're groaning. You don't even know how to pray about it because you are in such turmoil. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you, right? Within the Godhead, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's making intercession for us because we have the Holy Spirit and he knows what it's like for us. He's making intercession. But the whole thing is this hope that's sitting there. What is this hope? It's for what we are going to receive. It's for what we're going to receive, the glory that we're going to receive as children of God because we're heirs of God. This is, you have to understand this. Our sufferings are not able to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. No matter what our sufferings feel like, no matter their intensity, the worst suffering that could ever happen by everyone, not comparable with the glory that God has for you. Now, I understand suffering, just like you do. I understand it. I understand what it's like, but it is nothing, nothing compared to your inheritance that God has for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I can think of a lot of really good things. Just give me a minute. I'll give you a list of amazing things. And what this scripture is saying, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write here, is that you can't even think of it. It's not even possible for you to comprehend the level of goodness, the joy, right? You cannot comprehend your inheritance, the things that God has prepared for you. What does the Father do? He prepares things for his children. And you cannot compare 
your pain to this thing that you can't even imagine. I can imagine pain. I can't even imagine the goodness that God has. You cannot judge the story halfway through. And you aren't halfway through. You are one infinitesimal nothing of a nothing of a billionth of a billionth of the way through eternity. And so when we look, I mean, the, the scripture's clear. Our lives, men and women, the lives of men, what, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Some of you are already there. You're on borrowed time. I can see that. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. You get to go to heaven. Stop whining. It's going to be okay. Listen. Listen. It's nothing. It's nothing to eternity. You have to judge the whole. So the next time that you're suffering and you start questioning the goodness of God, careful about judging him before the whole show is done because he's made very clear here what's going to happen. Many want to accuse God of being unjust because he allows us to suffer, but all that he allows us to suffer, he's going to make nothing of. Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, some of you are thinking, now, I've had some stuff in my life. The idea that I wouldn't even remember it, that would take something special. But it's not brainwashing. It's just that the glory that you have is so amazing that there's no room for you to be thinking about that. That's how good it is. Creation is broken because of sin, and it groans, and we groan. We groan. We have the first fruits, though, of the Spirit, is what it says. That's a real hope that's in us, okay? The Holy Spirit has sealed you as a Christ follower. You don't have to worry about whether this is for you. The first fruits is already there. You got a down payment, okay? And then you have proof in the resurrection of Christ that's already happened of what you're going to go towards. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, because I'm going to have to stop here. It's 11:18, and we are not through what I was going to get through. But there's more weeks, Lord willing, okay? Um, listen, the Lord has so much for you. I'm not suggesting that you go outside and look up in the sky and start mouth-breathing. Well, yeah, are you coming to get me now? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's all there for you. But you have things to do now. And there's a lot of joy still now. I'm experiencing just pieces, just pieces, just a whisper of what that's going to be like. I can't comprehend it, but it comes to you from time to time. This is how things really should be. I should feel, this is, this feels like I should feel this way all the time and even better than this. Those days come. That's what you were, when you, the best feelings you ever have, you're relaxed, you, you have no worries, your body feels good, the whole thing, okay? I'm not talking about those of you who are smoking the weeds, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your mind is sharp, okay? You're feeling so Good, that morning that you wake up and the weather's perfect, and you just, oh man, this feels so good. That isn't even a scratch. You still feel like garbage compared to what you were made and created to feel like. That's how broken the world is. You, you don't know. You're like the frog in the water. It's like, yeah, it's getting hot. Mm, what's that bubble? And you know, then you're dead, right? <laughs> we're like that. 
We're like that. We don't even know. If you've ever had like a long-term pain, like a back pain or whatever, you just learned to deal with, and then you went and you got a shot or got a surgery or whatever, and it got better, and you're like, oh my gosh, people live like this without all this pain, and it's amazing. It's that times billion, 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 billion. I don't know numbers. Tiffany knows numbers. That's her thing. You have a lot to look forward to, but you have a lot to do now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, look, stop playing around. I, I'm not um, the smartest guy in the world. That's, you guys are like, yeah, you didn't need to tell us that. I know, I know. But I, uh, the Lord has gifted me some level of intellect. And I have been convinced by everything that I have seen, by the, what I have read, by what I have experienced, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he died and that he rose again. And that when he says he can forgive your sins, he can do it. And I know it because he's done it for me. And for anyone who's known me longer than 20 years, uh, you know that what he did for me was amazing. Because I was worse than all y'all have ever been. My heart was so dark and wicked. It was so selfish and self-centered. And God saved me, and he's been transforming me ever since. And so I, it may not seem great to you, but it's a lot better than it was. We're on our way, right? God is good. God is real. If you don't know him, now is the time. Don't walk out of here and just go back to, no, 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 it's cool. I'm cool. Everything, what I'm thinking is good. I think the good stuff, we're going to be fine because you're wrong. If you're online right now watching this, and you're wondering, what's this about? Look, it's about life. Everything else, the other, the other philosophies, the other religions of the world, they lead to death. They're nonsensical. They all have incredibly ridiculous places where they make no sense. And I've explored them. In fact, I've, I've preached about most of them. This is it. You can be saved. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved. Okay? With the mouth we confess unto righteousness, right? With the heart we believe. That's it. God's not asking you to go run a marathon. You don't do anything for this. This is a free gift that he gives you of his salvation. But you have to open your hand when he is trying to give it to you and stop rejecting it that's you today, get saved. If not, you're a Christ follower. The point that I'm going to be getting to here and that I've started to get to is you have a lot more reason to trust God than your circumstances would say or than you think or than you feel when you go through pain. And the fear that you experience and the difficulties you go through, look, I've had an anxiety disorder for a couple decades. I know what that's like. I know the whole thing. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I've been debilitated by it in the past. But you don't have to have any of that fear. The depression, the anxiety, I mean, these are clinical issues, and you should talk to your doctor and take the medicine that they prescribe and all that good stuff, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, the true, like anything that there really is to fear, there is nothing to fear for you. And we'll get to that as we walk through the rest of Romans 8 as we get into Romans 9. Mm -hmm.